Thank you very much for having us here. I, I, I really feel that uh, inspired by a very gloomily this morning, and I, I don't mean to because I have great hope that as, as we begin to be motivated by the love of Jesus, we can bring healing and hope to many, many people, maybe even your neighbors who struggle with the same hurts that we've talked about this morning. I don't know whether um, uh, Sky was warned ahead of time, but uh, the verse that I've got on your sheet of paper is I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love, unless you happen to be an egg. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking during the week as I was preparing for this morning, I was thinking if, if God was to come to us as individuals and invite us to go deeper in our love for him, to go deeper in our commitment to him, to go further in our service for him. What would it be that would come up in our mind as an excuse not to do that? I, I remember when I was in my 40s, I took my teenage son to Tasmania to walk through the Cradle Mountain Reserve. And uh, we did this eight-day trip, and around about the third day, we were standing at the foot of the biggest mountain of all in that reserve, Mount Otter. And we were looking up. We were going to climb it, and that was on the, on the program. And I, I remember standing looking up at this mountain, and uh, all sorts of reasons why I shouldn't climb it came into my head. And uh, some of those reasons just had to do with the mountain. It was rocky, it was rugged, it was steep. And some of those reasons came from inside of me. Uh, I already had sore feet. I'd been wearing boots that I hadn't broken in and my toes had gone all black and every step was agony and I thought there is no way I'm going to climb Mount Ossa. But the other side of that was that that's why we'd gone to Tasmania. And I had paid my fare and, and I had endured nights sleeping on the ground and under the stars and I decided that that was why we'd come. And then as I, I, I looked at the mountain, I realized that I couldn't do anything about its height or about its ruggedness or about the fact that it was rocky. But I could, I could do something about the negative attitudes that were going on inside of me. And so you'll be pleased to know that we climbed Mount Ossa. Well, we climbed halfway up Mount Ossa 
and got hit by a snowstorm in January. It's a crazy place, California. But uh, but the next day we climbed it to the top. And, and, and as I thought about that illustration, I, I thought about the fact that many of us might stand at the foot of the mountain that is about going closer to God, about getting nearer to him in love and, and serving him more fully. But there are all sorts of reasons why we've not done that. One of the reasons has to do with God, because he is holy and he is pure and, and he, he is righteous. And what gives us the right to think that we can draw closer to a God like that? Well, the good news is that God dealt with those problems, hasn't he? You can't do anything about the mountain that God did. God in his love and through Jesus on the cross dealt with those problems so that we have access into the presence of the Father. There is nothing in the mind of God that holds us back from getting closer to him. He is calling us, he is drawing us, he is pleading with us, he has paid the price that was rightfully ours to pay. He's removed all the, the obstacles in relation to the mountain. But the obstacles that remain are those obstacles inside of us. Those, those wounds that we carry, those feelings that we've had, those thoughts that we carry in our minds about ourselves and about God. And I began to think of all the people in the Bible, many of the significant people in the Bible, who had to deal with obstacles before they drew close, really close to God. Think about Job. I love the last few verses in Job when Job says, Once I heard your voice, but now I see you. Job had lost all his family. All his kids had died. Job had lost all his animals, all his farm, all his wealth. He had lost his health. I can imagine if I was in his position that there would be a lot of questions and maybe a lot of bitterness going on in my heart. And I'd say, why would I want to draw closer to a God who's allowed this to happen to me? As a little boy, I used to pray that God would come and zap my teacher before she abused me. And one of the things that I carried in my young adult days was that I cried to God that he didn't come. Some of us may wrestle with the fact that you worship a God who didn't come when you needed him to come. And that's one of the reasons why it's hard for you right now to embrace fully and absolutely the love of Jesus. You'd like to, but, but shouldn't he have come? Shouldn't he have delivered me? 
Shemir Hopi. I learned when I came to Christ that he did come. I learned that he came and to some extent he, he, the tears in his eyes were the same as the tears in his eyes when his son died on the cross. That this wasn't the time to intervene. This was, this was a time to love me and one day transform my life by his grace and his power. Because if you hadn't, I wouldn't be here today speaking to you in the way I am. God knows God has a plan and a purpose. And if you're still angry about suffering, or you're angry about God not turning up and you wanted him to, or you're angry about a chronic illness that you carry, then then just lay it down. I'm going to show you in a moment how to lay it down. Or maybe maybe you're still resentful towards someone who hurt you in the past. I think particularly of Jacob in the Bible where Laban really used him and misled him and, and, uh, and took him down, short-seated him. He could have carried that anger and resentment all his life, like, like Esau did. But he didn't. He drew close to God. Jacob became Israel, the father of a great nation. Or maybe, maybe like Joseph, you've been deeply hurt by the rejection of significant others in your life. Someone you really trusted, someone you really loved, and they they did wrong, they hurt you, they betrayed you, and still you carry the pain of that in your life. Or maybe like Moses, you say, "Well, maybe I could love God more if if I had good parents, or if I had." My birth mother care for me. Well, Moses didn't. Moses lost his mother when she put him in a basket on the river to save his life. Grew up in a strange country, in a strange environment. He had every reason why he would be maladjusted by the time he grew up. But God had his hand on Moses, just as God has had his hand on you and I ever since we were born. And God had a plan for Moses, and Moses became the great deliverer. I thought of Rahab. Rahab was a, a hero, or a heroine, but these days we say hero. She, she was a hero because she was the one who virtually handed Jericho over to the Israelites. But Rahab was a woman of the streets. Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab had been used by men and hurt deeply. She could have said, I can't draw close to God because I'm stuck in my sinful past. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how I've lived. But God 
God-given God does. And he loves you absolutely. You can't change that. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Or maybe, maybe you're like Hannah or Sarah or Elizabeth who reached old age without ever having had the joy of having a baby and having children. Maybe you look back and say, God's been rough on you. Your, your hope has never been fulfilled. Your dreams have never been fulfilled. There's no way I'm going to draw close to a God who didn't help me fulfill my dreams. But Hannah did. Hannah drew close to God and miraculously she did have a baby called Samuel. But instead of Instead of doing what she dreamt of doing all her life, of raising this little boy, she presented him to the temple and let the priest in the temple raise him. Because that is what she believed God was telling her to do. Well, maybe, maybe you feel unworthy of God's love because you grew up in a, in a dysfunctional family. Suppose in some ways all our families are dysfunctional, just depends who you compare them with. But some people have grown up in very dysfunctional families, and David did. David grew up in a dysfunctional family, but God's hand was on David. And David grew to be a man described as a man after God's own heart. Well, there are others we could talk about. We could talk about Daniel, who was a victim of war and a refugee. We could talk about Hosea, who lived out his prophetic life in an unfulfilled marriage. We could talk about Ruth, whose young husband died, and she had to leave her own country and go to a foreign country. We talk about Mary Magdalene, whose self-esteem had been damaged by, by demonic activity in her life. We talk about Peter, who could have lived with the shame of the denial of Jesus. But every one of these people today that I'm talking about today, despite their reasons, despite their excuses, love God with their whole heart. Now, how did how how would you get there? How would you deal with those sorts of things in your heart? Well, I'm going to give you four things that I find really helpful. They're not only things you do once. The things you have to do often. The first one is to identify the lies that you have come to believe. Lies like, God is responsible for my grief. God could never forgive me for what I've done. I can never forgive myself. I could never forgive the person who hurt me. I am unworthy of God's love. Brothers and sisters, they are lies. 
They are lies from hell. They are lies Satan wants you to believe. They fly in the face of the truth of God. So the Bible teaches us that God offers unconditional forgiveness, unconditional love. Without limits, love that we will never be separated from. The second, the second thing is to replace the lie with an immovable truth built on an unchangeable promise. You know, many of us would say that we've read the Bible all our lives. But if I was to say to you today, what is, what is your particular truth that you've taken from your knowledge of the Bible, from your relationship with God, what's the truth that sits in the center of your life? That's the core of your living. That is the core of every decision you make. Now, if we had time, and if it was possible, and we did it, many of you would come up with, with different verses. You wouldn't have the same one that I have, and I wouldn't have the same one as you have, but there would be some great truth that has been anchored in your soul that you build your life on. If there's not, if there's not, then you will be dictated to by the lie. The only way to answer the lies is by using the truth. My truth is I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Not my feelings of shame, not my feelings of guilt, not my feelings of inferiority, none of those things can separate me from the love of God. And not only is that true, but it's also true that, that God cancels the power of those things in my life. So not only is this the truth, but it counters the lie. And when Satan comes and says to me, you should be full of shame, God says, no, no, nothing can separate you from my life. Nothing. So I wonder what your great truth is. It'd be great to go home and think about that. It'd be great to write it down. <coughs> Maybe in the front of your Bible. Maybe stick it on the fridge or the front door. <laughs> a truth that you are going to turn to whenever you're confronted with lies. It is often that we will say, I can never forgive myself for that. I have heard that. If I've heard that once <clears throat> from people that I've counseled and people that I've pastored, I've heard it thousands of times. I could never forgive myself for that. Do you know what that's doing? 
that is you standing as judge over your wife and judging not that you deserve punishment, not only that, but that Christ's death on the cross was not sufficient to pay for it. And the same is true when we say, I can't forgive so-and-so for what they did to me. That's, that's the other aspect of that. Do you know what that is saying? It's saying, I don't believe that Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient to pay the price for, for what that person did to me. I, I remember being counseled in uh, America when I dealt with the anger and the bitterness in my own spirit. And I, I was counseled by this psychologist and he said to me, Graham, do you believe that Jesus has died for every sin that you have ever committed? And I said, yes. I'm a I preach that. He said, good. I want to ask you a second question. Do you believe that Jesus has died for every sin that you've ever committed against someone's salvation? And do you believe that Jesus has died for every sin that's been committed against you by someone else. And I looked at him and I said, I'm a counselor and I know a trick question when I hear it. I'm not going to answer it. He said, you answer it. You see, I knew that if I said, if I said, no, I didn't believe that, then it made nonsense out of my first answer. If Jesus has died for my sin, then he's died for their sin. But if I said yes, I did believe that, then it made nonsense out of years of anger that I carried. And you've got, or maybe you have, I could not say you've got no idea because maybe you have. Maybe you have. But many people would not understand how hard it is to let go an anger that you carried for a justifiable reason. It's like you're letting go the essence of yourself, the thing that keeps you alive, the thing that keeps you faithful. And I remember wrestling like I've never wrestled before with that issue. Could I really embrace that? That Jesus had died for every sin that had been committed against me. And when I did, it transformed my life. And it will transform your life also. And then the third step is deal with the anger, the shame, and the resentment through forgiveness. I have a little, uh, put a little definition of forgiveness under a future tense. I forgive another when I set them free 
from the obligation to suffer at my hands for what they have done to me. As God has set free from the obligation to suffer at his hands, those who sinned against me. You know, you can't forgive until you've blamed. Okay, blamed about that. No, 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 no. If you carry shame about something that occurred that wasn't your fault, then you have to first shift the blame to where it belongs. And when you've shifted the blame, to where it belongs, then you've got someone to forgive. Apart from the sense that you're the only one who needs forgiveness. It's so important to shift the blame to where it belongs, and then it's important to forgive them in the, on the basis of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then the final step that I've got here today is embrace the reality that God's Holy Spirit lives within you. It is the Spirit who gives life. It's the Spirit who turns that promise that you're going to build into your life. It's the Spirit that turns that into the living work. It becomes the truth on which your whole life is built. One of those great truths is that Christ's death and resurrection was sufficient for any sin, any punishment you think you deserve, or any punishment you would like to hand out to the person who has hurt you. None of the reasons here on your sheet uh, can keep you from God. None of those can separate you from a deeper walk with him. Take the promise. Counter the lies. Forgive yourself and others. And embrace the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Telling you every day. Witnessing to your spirit every day that you are a child of God. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for today. Sitting here in this magnificent cathedral. And we're reminded of your might and your power. And we want to just come in worship and lay our hearts, our lives, our hurts, our hopes at the foot of the cross. Lord, and to know that everything you've done for us, every degree of love you have for us, every iota of forgiveness that you poured out upon us is ours. Nothing can separate us from that. Not, not the hurts of yesterday, and not the worries about tomorrow. Nothing 
can separate us from the love of God that we keep in Christ Jesus.